You're there to sell, but you're also there to listen. Is that the only alternative? Sure. Everything's perfect. In New York, right? Where everything's better. I can't believe you. All you do is complain about that place and those people. You can't take a donation back. Knows what he does, why he does it. No more about the kid who fixes my damn car. Tone of your voice, I don't like it. Come on, you must have an opinion. I'm going to stand there, arm in arm with you, and make a stand. I hate you. I know. Welcome to Mad Men Men, the weekly show where we discuss a show that used to come out weekly. Each week, we take a close look at an episode of the AMC series Mad Men, which ran from 2007 to 2015. We gear our conversation around the conversation the show is having about gender, the patriarchy, and trying to do these puzzles. They're so difficult. You start with the corners, and uh, next thing you know, everyone's questioning your identity. I'm John Negroni, and... Will Ashton stop counting other people's podcasts? What up? And of course, we have Micah Overhulse. And Mike, I have something to say to you. What up? Nobody has what you have. Damn. You act like it's nothing. My daughter's a podcast. Do you know that? You see this guy, Will? He has no podcasts. You can't trust a person like that. Wait, what's... what's I see you. Yeah. Go what, ahead, Mike. What's the podcast totals now? Because this is this is technically the third I've been on. Will's podcast is ending, and John has like 17. Oh, <laughs> and counting. <laughs> it's like, uh, I'm like the Duggars with podcasts. What has he got? Um, is there another one besides, uh, there, obviously, Cinemaholics. Listen, Cinemaholics, uh, starring where we John find and podcasts. Will. I, I, yeah. So, yes. Is here, no, you're, you're, let's, let's ask John. Let's see if he, how big that brain is. John, this is the third podcast of yours I've been on. What's the other one? Well, there's Now Conspiring, obviously. That was the first one. Well, okay. Cinemaholics, Now Conspiring, rebrand. But what, what's the other one? There's a different one. <laughs> uh, well, we, 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 did, we never published it, but we did a, a pilot for a podcast that never went out. Oh, yeah, called, that's right. Uh, the Last Ooh. Blockbusters. Okay. I didn't even think about that one. John, is that not what you're getting at? One, like, no, John. There was, it, was, it was literally the first podcast I did with you, and it is published. And it's um, well, it's it's similar to this one. It's about thing. it's about it's about it's about one show specifically. What's the mm. first one I was on? Um, well, you were on the Game of Thrones thing, but that was part of now. Then, no, well, the game. Okay, you, you, that's what I'm getting at. It was it was Game. It of It was Thrones. on the now conspiring feed, Mike. But it was it sure, and this one's on the in between drafts, but it's a different show. No, it's this is so Mad Men Men is on it's on its own feed. The Game of Thrones thing was like a bonus episode of Now Conspiring. Mike, you forgot. You don't you don't remember our memories. You're forgetting I, things and you're you're feeling me up. I'm not you're I'm not I'm not Hannah, Mike. I'm your son. I don't think of you at all. <laughs> I haven't gotten to that okay. yet. But I've seen that reference before. So this week on Mad Men. Okay. Doesn't say uh we should mention that mike's pretty drunk yeah well do we have to mention it well yeah well so so mike was uh he was at an office baby shower um for for one of the employees there not mike mike's not pregnant um but i was gonna ask you guys this uh because we're gonna talk about the inheritance which is all about kids and uh children becoming parents and all that but if you were having a baby shower and your coworkers raided the storeroom what gifts and stuff would they get for you? Wow. So it, it, if the answer, if the question is specifically about coworkers, 
Yeah, I yeah, think, and it's got to be your workplace. I okay. I think I think I, if I was gonna be honest about this, I think coworkers specifically get me diapers. Right, everybody gets diapers. They get that's the thing. Babies poop. Babies pee. They need diapers. But it's got to be in the but store. I, no, the the point is it has to be in the closet of your workplace. You're not gonna find diapers there, are you? Oh, that's so right. In the closet, it's gonna be so much alcohol. We have like I work I work in sales at a tech company. It's gonna be bottles on bottles, and like we uh, we we do. Um, so you're in like, a madman office. Yeah, and it's so many snacks all from Costco. It's it's if if I have to source it from work, it's just booze and Costco snacks. That that's all you would really want, right? Yeah, I mean it's it's all I need. I you know how many mornings at work I eat Costco egg bites. You have no. I idea. do too. I I eat <gasps> egg bites for breakfast. Uh, the uh, I, I go back and forth between the um, the regular kind and the spinach bell pepper. Ooh, I mean, yeah. I, it, by regular kind, do you mean the bacon Gruyere? Yeah, yeah. And you know what I like to do with those? I like to add a little bit of Roberto's salsa to it. Oh my God, John! We live the same life. Will you cannot <laughs> live up. Will doesn't what understand. Do you, you, Will doesn't even have? like ice cream. You, you can't trust a person like that. Yeah, you can't. Uh, there you go. That's a good pull. Um, anyway. he has no egg bites. <laughs> um, so, uh, I have a few other ways I was going to open the show. Sure. Um, I was going to say, uh, all right, now, Will Asher, now that you've podcasted with me, let's go upstairs. Hmm. And, uh, at one point, uh, I was going to say something along the lines of like, Michael Overholes, you want to give me your temper? And, uh, oh, this is a good one, Will. Hmm. Uh, I came to rescue you, Will. I'm not hmm. joking. We can go anywhere. I have a podcast. That would have been a good one. And that would have been my pick, I think. That's a good uh, one. Yeah, that's a good it, one. You you fucked up. <laughs> or I would say sometimes, Will, I feel like I'll float away if a podcast isn't holding me down. <laughs> there you go. That's all right. I, I still think the, uh, the best one was the one you said before. Uh, the Inheritance. This is season two, episode 10. We are just a few episodes away from finishing up season two. Who would have thought? And this latest episode is directed by Andrew Bernstein. He did The Gold Violin earlier this season, as well as Flight One. I think two episodes that, Will, you were pretty fond of. Uh, he also did Babylon last season. So this is his fourth episode. And the episode itself is written by Lisa Albert and Marty Noxon and Matthew Weiner. So this aired October 5th, 2008. We're going to do our normal thing, talk about the episode, and I have some fun little trivia toward the end. But uh, I was also going to mention that the ratings are pretty good for this one. 1.3 million people watched it when it first aired. And uh, did I have anything else? I think that's it. I No, I, I do. Oh, no, please. You're, you're, yes. you're missing trivia. If we're going to jump into right now, are you oh, ready no, for I was going to go into trivia, yeah. Well, well, this is going to blow your mind. If you're going to talk about dates and directors and who's involved. Yeah, yeah there we go. Four days, four days before my birthday. Hmm. Um, October? Uh like that date, October. Do we 9th, share baby. like because I I'm uh, October fifth. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. yeah we, birthday, I'm just a couple days after you. Happy birthday, John. John, wait, a couple Thank days you. after you mean before? If you're October fifth, I'm October thirteenth. Are you? But oh, um, that's right. Yeah, that's right. You just said October. But 5th. you know, I got I got to say, oh. I got to say, Mike. Um, I feel like we never really celebrated our birthdays, you know, together. I celebrate with like Brian Coleman all the time. Brian Coleman, not a friend of the show. Uh, he's never been on, but a mutual friend between the three of us. But uh, yeah, I don't know what's going on, Mike. Yeah, well, what you happened? know, speaking of podcast, he has his own, you know, friendship podcast, and so I think that's yeah, why you yeah, two, he literally you know, has really a friendship podcast. 
<laughs> and uh, yeah, neither of us have been on it. Uh, yeah, kind of okay. weird. Even though like we were both at your wedding. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> he was my groomsman, uh, one of them. But uh, okay, I was going to mention that. Uh, yeah, you were. Th- you we talked literally right before we aired that you sat with my mom. And uh, you like told her that you could rescue her and you gave her these comics. It was kind of weird, actually. But uh, anyway, I was going to mention that this episode ends with, and I'm going right to the end, Don Draper as a venture song comes on and he's looking out and he's about to land in L.A. And I'm literally going to L.A. tomorrow as we record this. So I'm going to be playing that song probably when I'm in the when I'm in the plane. The sun's coming out. I can easily imagine you. Uh, the sun cresting on your face, a look of uh, jaded. Uh, uh, it's not really optimism, I guess. It's on his face. He, he seems more like scornful, I guess. In that moment, it's. Uh, it, I think that's his version of looking excited. Mm. Um, but also, you know, Pete Campbell won't be sitting next to me, but uh, my wife will be. Mm. Uh, that said, I, I'm always on the aisle seat or the middle. Uh, she she likes the window. Oh, that's a that's a good thing to bring up. You know where we sit. I, I am also a middle guy, so that my my fiance Hannah can get window or aisle. And John, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, you you've seen the show before, and you know, I'm assuming Will's seen the finale here in the background of a bar mitzvah somewhere. Do you think you're going to have a similar time in California as Don? I think so, Mike. And uh, we should mention, of course, uh, Will doesn't know what's in store, but I have mentioned, I think, before uh, on here that I really like the next couple episodes. And I'm going to, I'm going to say this right now. I like this episode, this, the, the inheritance a lot more than I used to, because I definitely picked up on some things that I didn't pick up on, on previous watches. And I'm curious if either of you are going to pick up on them uh, yourselves. So I'll, I'm going to start with that. Cause uh, the basic setup of the episode is that, you know, Don and Betty, the main thing is that Don and Betty go over to Gene uh, and Gloria's, a uh, Gene being Betty's father, after they find out that he had a stroke a few days ago and they weren't aware of. And they just basically go to make sure he's okay. Meanwhile, Pete uh, is still kind of dealing with the uh, the fallout of his father's death. Uh, he's uh, about to ship out to LA with Paul. Uh, his wife, Trudy, of course, the wonderful Allison Bree, wants him to consider adoption. And then uh, our other plot uh, is, of course, we have, we have Paul. Paul and his girlfriend, and uh, they're at odds because he's going to California for this uh, business uh, convention for Sterling Cooper. Instead of going with her for a voter registration effort, uh, his girlfriend, Sheila, of course, being a black woman, and that being quite a scandal in the 1960s. So that's the inheritance. I was going to say, or I was going to ask you guys, what do you think ultimately this uh, episode is about? We'll start with you, because you look rare in a go. Uh I feel like I'm kind of becoming a broken record in season two in our coverage, but uh, I feel it was a classic example of an episode that I liked fine while I was watching it. I thought it was solid, if a little disjointed. Um, but upon, you know, thinking back on it and reading a little bit about it from the Mad Men carousel, I, I definitely think I appreciate it upon reflection, uh, maybe more so than even watching it. But it's not a bad episode. Maybe the among the weaker ones for me of the season so far, but uh it's solid i enjoyed it um yeah i kind of get the sense and i'm curious if you'll agree or disagree it, it felt like it would have made more sense if it was focused less on paul and more on harry they kind of talked more about like the kind of like you have you know like these three different men in the office 
at different point in their family lives. Like obviously Don's pretty broken. He's in a marriage. It's crumbling, potentially going to fall apart for good. Uh, kind of caught odds with, uh, you know, um, with Betty at this point, and she's obviously in a very fragile state, uh, especially with her father. And then you have Pete, who's coming in with this kind of difficult relationship with his family. And then it would have been interesting to have Harry, who's, you know, just about to start his own family uh, and, you know, coming into fatherhood. And obviously he has sort of a complicated relationship with the office. And I don't know, it just seemed like maybe a missed opportunity, but you think it would have been better or worse if it focused on him over Paul? Well, I think they both get kind of similar screen time. You really look at it. Uh, in fact, that's kind of why I hesitated a little bit on like, well, is Paul really one of the, the B plots or C plots here? Because we get a lot with Harry in a short amount of time. I'll call back to last season with the Hildy thing. And I do think that their stories connect. I, I That's the thing. I would totally have agreed with you, Will, before I rewatched this episode. Because that's how I always felt about this one. I always felt like just watching it, it just wasn't my favorite. It reminds me a little bit of Long Weekend, where it feels like more of a slog to get through than other episodes do. There's something about the way the the episode moves that it just doesn't seem to have like that kind of spark to it. That's like everything's just clicking and going and going. Everything's connecting thematically for sure, and like you can you can clearly see like a through line between what each character is going through. I think though, I like this episode a little bit more than I used to. Because there's just something about it where I am finding a lot of that thematic energy is like a lot stronger than I usually give it credit for on like just a lot of that subtext. A lot of that, like uh, one of the things that really revealed itself for me that I didn't notice before in this is when Betty is talking about her dad in this episode, I really get the sense that she's really talking about Dawn. And when I started like watching the episode through that lens, it was really starting to come together better for me. And that that could be a weakness into the episode itself because it's it's not the most it's not the clearest thing, but it's definitely something that I think adds weight to what you're watching. But what what about you, Mike? Do you do you like this episode more yeah. than, than me? What were you at? I, I think I think I find myself as a mid ground between you and Will, where I, I definitely agree, John. I, as as a rewatch, I, I I totally hear you where you find those somatic through lines, but I don't agree that it, it's not a weakness of the episode, right? Because this show isn't isn't written. Uh, although, while it's easier to to watch as a rewatch, it's not written to watch as a rewatch, right? This was written as a, as a weekly show to watch, you know, fly through. So, I do agree with Will here, where you know it's kind of confusing with the through lines of each of the characters, and it is enhanced as you rewatch it and understand, especially specifically on the arc. I would say of these of these next last episodes of the end of season two, where you get Betty. And you get Dawn, and you know what Dawn's about to do in the next couple of episodes. And, and I'll titillate that for our audience. But um, I, I did enjoy this episode. I see where you're getting at, John. But I definitely think it has merit as its own episode as being a little confusing. But I think it's confusing. No, no, well, maybe not confusing, but it is uh, a, a big setup for what we get here at the end of the season, which I think is definitely the, the the high point and the best part here of yeah. season two which which has been a little rough let's get into more detail and i i definitely want to talk about one specific thing uh matthew weiner has said that he believes the episode is about the process of going from being a child to being a parent so for example we see in two specific scenes there's a scene where betty is talking with her brother william 
uh, about their father. And, you know, you see like children talking about their parents and them being parents themselves. And that mirrors uh, a different scene where we see Pete and Bud, brothers, talking about their mother. And I think what Weiner sort of getting at there is he thinks that this episode is about that process of like when you're a child and you realize that, you know, you're parent is like no longer in that role anymore. There's a lot of confusion of like, who is the parent, who is the child in this episode. And you see a lot of it with Glenn. You see a lot of it with how Betty interacts with Sally toward the end of the episode. Um, Betty's conflict throughout. You see it in the way that Don in particular seems to really feel like lost because he doesn't have his kids. He doesn't have like, he can't even like see them or have like a real life with them. And his motivations there are a little interesting. Uh, personally, I think, I think there's something else here that Weiner probably put in there too, along with Lisa Albert. But I think there's something else in this episode about people, uh, about found family, people who are unrelated by blood, finding connection and purpose for Don. That's everything because he doesn't have blood. He doesn't, his brother is gone. Uh, he has no people, right? Um, Pete is weighing that with like, should he adopt? I think even with the stuff, um, with Paul, you know, like connecting with, you know, a community of people and obviously very in a cringeworthy way, but connecting with people that, uh, not only are not related by blood, but are racially, you know, segregated from him. And, that that's kind of what I mean. It's like once I started doing the episode through that lens, a lot of things kind of came alive for me that were felt a little bit murkier before. Uh, do you, do you think I'm uh, ridiculous, Will? No, I think that's all valid. I mean, I definitely uh, feel like the big thing for this season for me has just been the uh, extended focus on Betty and kind of making her sort of the emotional center of these back yes. half of the episodes. I think uh, not only do I think her character is so fascinating and intricate in the way she's laid out and developed throughout these episodes. But also I just think um, January Jones performance really gets a shine a lot in these uh, episodes in particular. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff as far as, like you said, with um, uh, Betty is kind of at this point now where she's been without a mother for, I think two years, I believe. Uh her mother every, passes away, I think, early 1960, late 1959, something like mm -hmm. that. And we are in late summer uh, 1962. So yeah. it's like two, yeah, like two years and then maybe a couple months. Yeah. And then obviously she has sort of a complicated relationship with her. But I mean, there was a sense of stability with both her and her father around. And now that she considers herself sort of orphanized by, you know, not only her mother having passed a few years ago, but her dad in a very serious mental decline. Uh, she's also kind of weighing that with the, the sense that she might be sort of orphaning her kids and like kind of keeping their father away from them. But obviously she's at this point where she doesn't really want to uh, let Dawn kind of welcome back into him. But there is that moment where they have that sort of like uh, intimate uh, moment of very missionary sex in the child's bathroom or the ch <laughs> child's bedroom or uh, is it? I think well, it's her she's child, on but, top, so right. you know it's a little bit. Well, she has a little power bit more the, evangelical the dynamic, than that. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's it's like interesting stuff there. And then obviously, like Pete doesn't have his own father, and he has sort of his conflict, conflicted relationship with his uh, very abrasive mother, and he's kind of at a point where he wants again the fatherhood, but uh, you know the definition of what de who is deemed a father uh, is through the uh, outdated 
viewpoint of adoption from his mother and his family is definitely uh, it's like very interesting stuff and i agree with mike as far as like uh you know just mauling about it and just really kind of thinking about the ideas at play here i think are maybe a little bit more rewarding than like watch them uh play on this episode at least for the first time but they're all very intricate and uh stimulating stuff <laughs> i uh I, no go ahead mike yeah, I, I just love to, to jump on that. I also think this episode is also, uh, as much as about familial connection, I think it's also about class connection as well. You get that in each of the storylines first with, with with Don, right? Because he's definitely not accepted, right, into into Betty's family, even though he views himself as someone who has you know built himself up by the bootstraps, is a partner at his company, should is part of Country Club, should should be considered this high class. He he's not he's not he's resented by, for it. He's resented he's, for it. That's the thing. He's resented because he made that stuff on his own. And I think Gene in particular, and also William, you can see it too. They're insecure about mm. like yep. themselves coming from money. And they see a guy like Don, and they that's the main reason why they don't accept him. Because yeah. it's like a, a sick kind of like jealousy. But it's yeah. it's not even, jealousy is too simple of it. It's more sort of like, feeling insecure and like i couldn't have done that myself you know but and like don was able to but then there's a mirror of it right with with um with with paul who then goes to these you know who goes with his interracial relationship uh into her home state to, to protest quote unquote but it's only because he didn't get to go to california right and so he's also yes. not accepted and he's you know it's also because on his side it's his insecurity of looking like the progressive guy in the relationship. I'm going to go fight this. He didn't want to, he didn't care about it, but he did it because he was available. And then I think you also have the middle ground of, of, of Pete, right? Who is now rejecting his, his, his own family, his own mother, right? Who's judging her for, you know, not seeing how involved his father was with what you have to assume with is, is, is a lower class, right? The, the, these women he was spending his money on, wasting his, his family wealth, right? Essentially. So he, 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 just like Weiner does often. The strangers, he says. Exactly. And, and I think that's what's so good. There's, there's so if you, if you tune into it, there's, it's not just one through line, but he gives you kind of every perspective of the option in these episodes. And I think it's what he did here at the Class Connections. Um, it's actually related real quick to what I was going to say about Pete uh, before, which is that there's something really interesting about how at the beginning of the series, Pete says he wants to be like Don, right? And he kind of, in a cosmic way, gets his wish because he goes from riches to rags. And now he's sort of like transitioning into being that same self-made man as Don because he effectively is having to start from scratch. Now at that sense, he still has all the privilege in the world. He still has like a lot of like opportunities that have been like thrust upon him that he wouldn't have gotten, you know, it's very different from Don, but it is closer in approximation uh, to Don than it would have otherwise have been. Uh, he's no longer just like that you know the dykeman you know legacy is what's giving giving him his job he actually does have like talent that's showing in his work um but i also wanted to tie into that as far as like you were talking about don being considered sort of the prior the outsider of the family but i also find it really fascinating that there's also gloria who is like the second wife or the yeah. uh, soon-to-be wife i believe uh to eugene and 
like she's obviously only been the pitcher for maybe a year or so if that uh and i think betty even calls her like a vulture at one point like she sees her as this sort of uh you know leech on the family but everyone else sort of accepts her because she's been there and is supporting gene through this whole process well, like convenience right sure. like they just like that she's looking after him so they don't have to right Specifically well, that's what I mean. william yeah. And then likewise, you know, Betty is also kind of seen as an outsider as well because she, you know, lives in hoity-toity New York They, as far as they see it. And it's like, yeah, like she's obviously way more caring about Jean than maybe her brother in some respects, uh, you know, her new mother. But yeah, it's just uh, seen as, uh, you know, her kind of just trying to save face or just kind of like they don't even include her in the conversations when he's had all these strokes. And it's only really but- because, um, yeah. But but it's not just that; it's the heirloom too, which 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 shows just a, such a good point that the new mom and the brother's wife also are so out of it that they don't even know that this this precious family heirloom is so clear to Betty that it should be hers, and no one even knows. No one even gives it a second thought. It's been with the wife for so long, like it's so disconnected. And that messes with Betty's head because she was raised to be a replica of her mother. Like there is a reason why her father like confuses her for Ruthie, his wife, his late wife, because Betty, as we like learned throughout the first season, especially was modeled to be like her mom in every respect. And that speaks a lot to like her baggage and all that. Uh, I was going to mention too, cause it was, it was kind of touched upon before. Uh, I think you mentioned it. Well, how, she is kind of, you know, by the end of this episode, you can see that she is so paranoid now about her children going through what Glenn has gone through and seeing herself in Helen Bishop in a way and like starting to see like, if I, if I go through with this and I have a divorce, what's going to happen to my kids? And so you're starting to see like the gears turn there where she kind of like, it's almost like she grows up a little bit in this episode or kind of like transitions out of that sort of like Glenn baggage and Glenn is back. Uh, we haven't mentioned that, uh, Glenn Bishop is here. Hmm. Uh, he is weirder than ever. And, uh, I believe he is Will Ashen's favorite character. Uh, I don't, I mean, I, has- I do find Glenn to be kind of a fascinating little, uh, weirdo of a guy. I, I was thinking about this. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen any of the marketing for Bo's afraid, the new Ari Aster film. No, no. Um, how about you, Mike? I, I have not seen it. Okay. Anyway, like the first poster for the film is like, it appears to be like a CGI version of Walking Phoenix as like a child. And he looks exactly oh, like, and he looks I've exactly like Glenn. But in the this glass episode. eyes. Yeah. The sort of like Mona Lisa, like I, I can't like escape the gaze. Yeah. Right. Wait, um, are, you, are you telling me it looks like River Phoenix? Uh, wow. That's, that's well, messed up, Mike. You should wow, that's not messed up. Are you talking Fucking about his new Betty's son? Dad feels her up, and you're telling me I'm fu- <laughs> Betty's dad feels her up, and then she goes and fucks Glenn. Are you kidding me? This is messed up. I mean, uh, I don't know what episode of the Mad Men you saw, Mike, but I think you got a bootleg or something uh, like that. Oof. Well, uh, in any case, I was gonna point out uh, <laughs> something Bill, I found like really off balance. Uh, something I found really interesting, just like really- Glenn after Betty fucked him. Like, uh, shit. Uh, any case, uh, I was gonna say that I thought it was interesting that William is the name of Betty's brother, right? Yes. So, oh, are you gonna mention that the the wife's names are Judy, both of them? No, I was gonna mention that when uh, 
Betty and William kind of have a heart to heart a little bit, uh, such as they can. William comes in through the window and he said he was playing in the old playhouse. So it's like them yeah. kind of playing playhouse for themselves, like in that little moment. And then later we see with Glenn, she's on the outside looking in to Glenn, who is, you know, like yeah. a literal child. And she's like this, you know, grown adult, almost like a giant peering into. And I don't know. I just thought that was a really interesting little detail. Yeah. There are a lot of characters in this episode playing house. And that's a, yeah, yeah it's a nice connection. Yeah. And uh, no, but I was going to say there is a fun little thing where uh, William's wife's name is Judy. And Pete's brother, Bud, his wife's name is also Judy. And Pete's wife is Trudy. And I just think that that's very fun. Uh, I think that's just the writers having a good time and, and cracking laughs in the writer's room. Speaking of, I, I really like the, in the beginning of the episode when Pete says that like uh, people in Pasadena all have TB. So I think that's a funny little like reference, the fact that they shoot the show in Pasadena. <laughs> and so like, you know, they're all, they're all like kind of in that area and that's fun. Everybody loves Judy. Pete loves Trudy. And Betty's dad for sure fucking loves her booty. That's All a, right. That's, that's, um, a, that's, 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 that's a joke based on the fact that I don't know if you saw the episode, John, but Betty's dad feels her up. Let's be very specific about that. Yeah. It's very awkward. Pretty, pretty traumatizing. Um, we do. We, we get to see Aloma right in this episode. And I, for, I sometimes forget, you know, like when I see her, I'm just like, Laverne. Uh, of course, uh, Aloma wife is uh, in Scrubs, but uh, she, we find out, is kind of like, there, there's this interesting thing where you kind of see that she was Betty's nanny growing up in a similar way that Carla is to Sally. And it, it kind of makes you wonder, right? Like, huh, you know, I wonder what uh, Betty's mother, Ruthie, like what her relationship must have been like with Viola. Uh, but Betty and Viola have a really interesting scene here that I've always been kind of curious about. And uh, I was kind of alluding to this before, but I really just get the sense that when she's talking about like, he doesn't know who I am. It's like, yes, on the surface, she's talking about her father confusing her for her mother and how awful that was for her. But I think she's also talking about Don here. And we're just seeing that sort of classic mad men writing where like characters are talking about something and they really are talking about someone or something else. And in this case, like it's that on steroids, because we also have the thing with Glenn, which is such a clear, you know, she's like propping, she's dressing him like Don, giving him that like little haircut. And I think I'm going to tie this all together. I think that it has everything to do with why she ultimately sleeps with Don. But I want to ask you guys first. I have my own little, my own little theory for this, but yeah, Will, why, why do you think Betty decides that she wants to get it on in uh, her father's house, in his household, under his roof, uh, with I think Don, it's a, who she hates. I think it's a momentary source of comfort at a time when she's feeling very sort of lost and uh, insecure about the state of things. Like she obviously is uh, struggling with the loss of of Don and, and and not having him be that source of uh, you know romantic comfort in her life such as he was i mean he was always sort of distant anyway but there is that sort of absence and then now we have you know her own father in this sort of confused state with her family and she feels like she's kind of a stranger looking in uh as we said play, kind of playing playhouse and so i feel like there is a sense of like uh you know comfort but also like intimacy to be found at a time when she hasn't really been able to find 
a connection with uh, many other people in her lives in her life. Uh, and yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's 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 not really, I think, uh, driven by romance or even you know a sense of like wanting to reconnect with Dawn. I think it's just that like kind of moment where she just feels that she wants some sort of stability at a point when everything's kind of spiraling. But Dawn mistakes it for something a little bit more uh, rekindling and that doesn't quite pay off. So I agree with an aspect of that. But yeah. I have a different take. But I want to hear, Mike, yeah, what, what do you think? Let, let, let's, let's put it into the words of John earlier, right? Betty was made to be into an image of her mother. And what that brings is a type of, of, of class recognition of, and also class role. So now let's fast forward to where Betty is at actually in life. Her, her husband is cheating on her and she doesn't know what's happening. Her, her biggest judgment in season one was a divorced woman and now she's becoming that. Um, her, her, her family is, is in shambles. Her mom is dead. Her dad is losing his mind, thinks she is her own, is her own mother. She does not like the stepmom. And her brother is playing playhouse with a wife who doesn't even know how their family works, right? And so Betty is looking for really any semblance of, of control that she can. And I do think Ooh, it's really important. nailed it. It's important that Mike. she's on, on top, really, right? Well she's trying done. to control. This is who I am. This is our life. This is how the world is supposed to be. Yeah, she wants control. I literally wrote that almost word for word. It's like she wants to feel control over something. And she sees Dawn as an opportunity. I was going to say too, because like also even on the most literal level, this woman has needs, you know, like she hasn't been able to have sex with anyone for a really long time. I mean, this is the first time she and Dawn have sex. I believe in the, and this actually, no, they do have sex like, uh, on like three Sundays. I think it is like morning sex or whatever, but they were, but can he course, not get it up? Well, that, yeah, that stuff was before, like while he was sleeping with Bobby Barrett, he got his, his, he got his groove back, you know, he's distracted this thing. And that said though, like they've been estranged now for a while and she has been sort of, you know, here is this opportunity where he's just laying right there. And I think it's a combination of like, I'm going to fuck this guy because like I can, I have power over him and I, it's going to feel good. And I want to, it's com for her. It's a completely biological thing. And that I think is punctuated by the fact that Don is the one who wakes up alone and realizes he's alone. She's gone. She got what she wanted. She has nothing else she needs from him besides that D. And by D, I do not mean Don or Draper. I mean Dick. But isn't that, isn't but that not what that Dick? <laughs> isn't that what John or nice job. John Ham? Don does to, to his women too, right? He gets what he wants out of them. He gets he gets his professional yes. Uh, inspiration. He gets his. Uh, I feel important. He gets whatever he needs, and he it's never from Betty. And finally, Betty gets it from him. He lost at his own game, and that game mm -hmm. is not a puzzle, but it is a puzzle. But it's not. <laughs> but he doesn't even know. He doesn't even know he lost. That's how dumb Don is. In regards <laughs> to how, how he this works, I love that whole sequence. Like he is so in this episode, out of place. He is just in every scene. Like even when he goes back to the office, he's out of place. He like he walks in, he calls the front the the receptionist by the wrong name. You know, he he's kind of disoriented. The entire time he's with Betty's family, he's uncomfortable. He clearly doesn't want to be doing this. Like he's there out of obligation. 
he's doing the right thing by being there for Betty, but he clearly doesn't want to. He clearly doesn't like being around these people. He clearly is uncomfortable with pretending everything's okay. And the one chance he gets when like they get to their house, he has to leave immediately. And I think that that, of course, all speaks to why he, he feels like by the end, he's got to get the hell out of there. He's like, I'm going to L.A., forget this. He's kind of like me in 2014 when I was like, you know what? I'm moving to California, not L.A., but I was I, like, you know what? I'm done with Virginia. It's over. I did want to kind of mention that I feel like this episode kind of like dances around sort of like you said, like that dreamlike kind of surrealist quality, not like surreal in the way that like Twin Peaks is surreal or even that like the later episodes of Sopranos is surreal, but like just that kind of a sense of like, you, you don't really know what's real or like what it, things just seem kind of off or weird. Like yeah, I all really the furniture like, has been moved a couple of inches, but yeah, it's hard like to I, tell. Yeah. I really love like the scene when he comes into the office and it's like pretty vacated. It just yeah. so happened that like the Los Angeles flyer is uh, on his secretary's desk. Uh, it's also like not like he's in the usual place, like you mentioned, but then he like goes into like that uh, boardroom and there's just like a huge party. And then Harry's wearing like the, the baby bib or baby bonnet or whatever. And it's just like all these like kind of weird touches that are like not fully out there, like, weird surreal but like just like odd enough that you kind of wonder like what what's exactly going on and i love that about um the scene with betty and glenn too the scenes with betty and glenn as well yeah Ooh, they're so well, weird with, with that too it's so good because he goes back to the office and he feels so out of touch and he thinks that being in power gives him that connection but then oh it's so good because who comes in and instead of talking about the baby shower says happy birthday but like the controlling partner of the company, who obviously Don idolizes. Just I to just this, wanted like, to say, happy birthday. Oh, I got to say. Wait, wait, wait. It just shows you like so out of touch. Like being empowered does not make you in touch. And it means nothing, right? If this, if this show is about who are you if not at work and Don's realizing, oh, maybe I don't want this. Which just put, to put in a pin in it so sets up the rest of this fucking season. Oh, it's so also, good. I can't wait to talk about it. I got and I got to say with Bert, I just think that he has a soft spot for Harry, as we've seen, and that kind of speaks to like why he's a little bit like, oh, party for Harry. I got to step in and say something. <laughs> uh, two things. One, you could argue, I guess, that Bert is the father of the company and therefore is out of touch. You know, yeah. I don't think that's intentional at all. Uh, but the fun idea. Uh, I also there is, say, well, there's also Roger kind of like his like teenage kids are like super pissed at him for good reason toward the end. Right. He's yeah. like trying to like make small talk with them and mm -hmm. they're just like, get out of here, dad. You suck. Yeah. I also like that. Um, there's that moment when we like start the episode uh, and we see like Dawn and Peggy like right next to each other, almost kind of like father and mother kind of like watching over like the kids and like, you know, like they're kind of, you know, getting ready for their little presentation and stuff like that. And it's like, I feel so bad son, for Peggy in this whole episode. Yeah. Did you, like, she really did you read the, the pamphlet? Straw. You know, yeah, like, like, it's huh, like, why nice and hurt LA? And she's right. just like, yeah, why don't you? Right. You know? And like um, the whole thing where like she has, she literally gave a baby up to adoption and like the irony of that and like Pete and her having that conversation where he clearly is trying to like, you know, once again, like for the for the third or fourth time this season, tries to like talk to her because he gets something from her he doesn't get from anyone else, or he's trying to get something from her that he's not really getting from her, but he thinks he is, mm -hmm. and it's just I feel so bad for her because she's like trapped by this like dude who's like mm -hmm. stuck in her life. Yeah, 
pawning off uh, his mommy issues to the mom of his child. Not yeah. knowingly. Not even uh, knowing. But I was going to say, just before we move off from it, uh, that line from Bert is the hardest I laugh in this whole season. That was such a funny <laughs> line. I was howling. That was such a great it's line. It's the delivery from Robert yeah. Morris. It's just right. pitch perfect. Happy uh, birthday. <laughs> I just wanted to say happy birthday. <laughs> and and no again. one corrects them. It's so good. Right, yeah, it's they're just, just like, like there. yep. <laughs> uh, I also felt for Joan. In this episode, you know, like as soon as Roger and Jane get mentioned, she's just like, yeah, you know, brutalized by it. And like, I do, I really like the, that whole scene where like she and Don are so chilly toward Roger. He knows why, but they obviously are like, they're civil and they're not going to like be dramatic. But like, they also, you could just see it on their faces. They're just like, what are you doing? Like, you know that we're mad with you, but like, he has this like responsibility. He's like, he is still their boss. He is still in charge and he has to still be like the parent to them. So it's like this, it kind of reminds me of when duck, you know, had his kids in the office and he's just like talking to them out of obligation. And they're like, we don't care. Like that same sort of dynamic. It's like Matthew Weiner in this episode where he puts his own kid, uh, the kid who plays Glenn in the episode uh, clearly has some like hangups too about his parents and about his children and, and how his children must view him and how uh, all of that sort of interplays. And that, yeah, again, I think that's why this episode, I think, is a little bit better than I've usually given it credit for. Um, was there anything else that you guys like? There were all kinds of like little things in this. Uh, there was something I noticed here that I never noticed before. Allison. We've seen Allison a bunch of times. Uh, she works at the front. And uh, last season, we saw her hook up with Ken Cosgrove counts. And in this episode, we saw her be racist. I'm not like, I'm not, you know, sugarcoating it. Like literally like she walks Sheila over to Paul and like the look on her face when Paul like kisses her, she is like a, a total bigot. And I would never realize it before because Allison, you, you know, throughout the show, it's like a, a sweetheart, you know. But uh, yeah, I was very disappointed in Allison, the fictional Allison. Well, it, it's rare that you actually see bigots show the true colors, you know, all the time. It doesn't it doesn't happen until it's like January 6th and people are storming the Capitol. And you <laughs> well, hear your usually, friends. <laughs> to your point, usually it's more subtle. Like usually people are like um, uncomfortable with that sort of thing in a less like, ugh kind of way like she is like it, it is kind of weird how over the top her reaction is yeah yeah they usually use like coded language or you know yeah so they, and, and the office are usually a little bit more uh discerning i guess and you see the more subtle racism with uh with paul paul is more subtly racist with like hollis call me paul uh, sure have you met my girlfriend she <laughs> like, okay dude. but isn't that isn't that progressivism for the time is to be subtly racist but the, oh, the, yeah. no, I mean, it guys, is for this current it's 1962, time. right? Like Jerry Jones, the owner of the Cowboys, is actively protesting black people going to his school, right? And it's that, unfortunately, also we're in Manhattan. We're in New York, a progressive part of the country. The norm is to be racist. It's not. I would say crazy. New York around this time wasn't progressive. I think it was more like liberal. I think and it was please. more sort of like, let's go ahead. I was going to say, I think he's he's saying that it's more progressive than other states at this time. In some ways, maybe. I think it, but yes. I think like it's also extremely conservative, like extremely like old money, like the, like, oh, sure. Yeah. It, but the arts and stuff, sure. Like you do have like the Bohemian movement there. You have stuff like that. But I think that that, 
that is like still on the precipice of taking over culture and it hasn't quite yet. Like we're, you're just sort of seeing the embers of that. Case, I mean, early Woodstock hasn't even happened yet, has it? Like, it's we're, we're a while away from like the hippie movement taking over, and I, I'm sure we'll be very curious how and if Mad Men handles hippies, um, uh, besides the ones we've already seen, <laughs> I guess. In it, the first it, season. It's, yeah, it's, it's exactly the same as the Jesus Revolution coming out the same day as Cocaine Bear, the best juxtaposition of movies in which recent will history. I choose? I don't is know that, which uh, to watch. Is that next weekend? Cocaine Bear? No, it's it the end is... of the month. February 24th. No. Is it? I thought it was the 17th. Uh, I don't oh, know it... about Jesus Revolution, but I think Wait, Cocaine Bear is February 24th. I promise you, I promise you they're coming out on the same weekend. So if it is the 24th, Is Cocaine it's Bear the same weekend as Magic Mike's Last Dance or Ant-Man the Wasp Quantumania? They're different. I February know specifically that they're different. Cocaine Bear. Jesus Revolution. Uh, also 24th. I promise you. They'll be out at the same time. You will go to a movie. Oh, yeah. Jesus Revolution is February 22nd. Uh, earlier that well, week. Still the, Nick, you will, see, still you will go to the movie theater at the end of February, and you will look at the marquee, and you will have a decision to make. That's it. Uh, I was also just going to say, uh, I found Paul's scene on the bus to be notably cringy for that reason <laughs> that we were discussing yeah. previously before we got into conversations about Cocaine Bear. Uh yeah, and just like that, you know, he's yeah, you know, very much just like, you know, trying to be progressive, but obviously being very clunky and uh, inadvertently kind of racist. He's performative, right? Yeah, he's dropping that marks, you know, with like a really well, hard X. You know, yeah. but then is, is you, it, you see, progressivism, uh, uh, What was that? I'm sorry, I didn't mean to, to to cut onto you, Will. I was making a joke saying, "Isn't progressivism performativism?" Oh, no, yeah, you, you no, are not correct. in all yeah. cases. In some respects, at least. Well, that's the thing. It's like everything's performative. But I mean, there's there's a difference between having a belief or having like a progressive worldview and like, you know, trying to advertise it as part of your identity to make yourself feel better about yourself. That to me is more like yeah. you're putting on a performance and it's a bit more of pretending. It's not really what you, you know, who you really are. You're just sort of like taking on a persona. Sure. And p- people do it with all ideologies. But it's like, just, yeah, just I mean, think of like, Paul would have voted for Obama twice if he had the chance. You know, it's 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 like you know, verbiage. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whereas, like, you kind of see just like there are some people who, like, it doesn't even cross their mind. They just sort of will accept somebody, you know, as they are, and it, it's not really something that they feel like you know insecure about. I guess. Um, but anyway. It- any case, I just wanted to point out that, like, yeah, you have Paul in this kind of cringy scene on the bus, and I was waiting for Sheila to kind of be a little like annoyed or upset, but she has like this kind of loving look on her face, and it's just like, oh, my boyfriend's being a good progressive boo, you know, like being yeah. a good guy. She's, uh, yeah, I mean, I think she's happy that, like, she's still under the impression that he dropped the convention to go. I do think it's funny too that he says, just like, I can't, I can't go. It's, it's a convention. I can't, I can't tell you about it. And it's like so funny that in the 1960s, like the idea of like a work convention is like this mysterious, you know, really important thing to some people. Uh, obviously, like you couldn't say that in today's day and age of like, yes, well, I, I, I understand that, our, you know, it's our child's baptism, but unfortunately, I have to I have to go to this convention. <gasps> convention? I, Egad. Yeah, I mean, I don't I, know. I just it. I do find the relationship between Paul and Sheila kind of interesting because he can be like very 
genuinely loving and sweet in one moment and then kind of condescending and belittling in another. And yeah, I don't know. Of course. Yeah. And I mean, I think, I think Joan had him pegged earlier in the season when she was telling him like, you are doing this to make yourself look more interesting than you really are. And I think, yeah, part of him does care about this person. It, It is built upon some sort of like real emotion there. But I think there, unfortunately for him, there's more to it for his interest than there is like for his genuine like feeling and uh, willingness to put her put Sheila before himself, which clearly isn't the case. Yeah, it just, it just shows it right that although you know it's not exactly a specifically exploitative relationship, which obviously like black exploitation is, is is huge for the era. It's going to be even become even bigger in the seventies. Um, it you know she is more of a prop to him than a human because uh, he he. He does use it, right? His first priority is to go to this convention. And then that, that, that's the thing I was going to bring up about this episode is that Joan takes so much pleasure in telling him that he can't go to L.A. And he is so oh, yeah. upset about it. He's so upset about it until he, like a white man. The smile on Joan's to, face. He, and he, and he, he, he throws a tantrum. He can use it to his advantage, which is in his personal life, right? So, his, his again, going back to the mm-hmm. show, who are you if you're not? Who are you if you're not at, who you are at work? It's well, if I can't use his work situation to my advantage, I'm going to use this personal situation to my advantage, and it's it's still just people, men specifically, trying to to use everything to their advantage and take power in their society. When it comes to Harry, I mean, we don't get that much with him, but I think what we do get with him is interesting. We get him sort of like settling into the reality that he's about to have a newborn. He's about to have like his life sort of turned upside down in terms of having to have this child, you know, dominate his, his schedule, dominate, like, you know, he can't just go to LA and meet these executives, show his face, you know, or shave his face. And you see that like discomfort he clearly has about, you know, this responsibility now being there and how it's not something that you can tell it's not something that he he seems to be against like the idea of having a kid in the way that it seems like pete is but you do still sort of see that it's like this sinking feeling this like okay my life is about to change forever and i don't know if i'm ready and you know how i said earlier about like characters and madmen when they're talking about one thing and and they're really talking about someone else sometimes they're talking about themselves anyway um uh that's i'm i'm not talking about me though i hope i hope you didn't get that out of what i just said uh, uh guys uh i was talking about harry just just harry just just, just harry being uh, nervous about uh, ha- uh, uh having hey, kids if um, hey, if we're if we're if, if we're talking about other people right now without talking about ourselves wow yeah, don yeah. is so drunk in this episode he's just so <laughs> drunk i thought you were gonna he's be like drinking <laughs> Don has such a big. <laughs> yeah, um. no, Don. I would, I would not go there. I would go, I go the exact opposite. You know, it's like, uh, you know, Don is secure in his masculinity. Exactly. It, Don is is happy to be friends with John Negroni. <laughs> Don is uh, certainly uh, not feeling extremely awkward right now. Uh, in this entire podcast. Um, hey, look, it's, it's Helen Bishop. Helen Bishop is back. Will, what do you think? Are you happy to see Helen? You missed her, right? Is this her first appearance in season two? Mm, 
it might be. I don't. I don't. Yeah, yes. I don't think we've seen her since uh, the finale when. Uh, I, I don't even know if we saw her then either, because like I don't time... think we saw her when she was in the store while Betty held hands with Glenn in the car. Right. You know, I was gonna say the last time I think we saw her was when she got slapped in the grocery store. Yeah, uh, maybe there might have been a time in between, but it was probably extremely small. In any case, she's she's been busy still still uh, campaigning for Kennedy. Yes, and uh, doing some unspeakable things to several different boyfriends, and she's having a good ass time. That's for sure. Yeah, she. Uh... Hey, so's Kennedy. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, maybe that's who. Maybe that's one of her boyfriends. We don't know. We don't know. Uh, in any case, what was the question about Glenn Bishop? Uh, no, just bringing up uh, that Helen is Sorry, back. Uh, um, Helen Bishop. Helen Bishop. Yes, yes, she's she. Um, this is unfor- unfortunately, I, I I will say I, I don't think we're going to see her for a while. I won't say if this is the last time we ever see her. I do know if it is, but I don't want to give it away. Um, just when she reconnected with Betty and seen the four J. Well, really, just connected with Betty because I don't think they ever <laughs> really. Right. Um, well, she just gets a new job with NCIS. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so I just fact checked it, and yes, the last episode she was in was Red in the Face, which uh, yeah, that's the episode where she's slapped by Betty. So this is the first time we've seen her since. You know, interesting. Who else is Red in the Face right now? Uh, you, because you nope. you were embarrassed. Nope, Mike, because he's drunk. Yeah, I was gonna oh, say yeah, drunk Mike. I was gonna say drunk Mike. You <laughs> nailed it. That's me. Did you know that Darby Sanchez was in an episode of that '80s show? I didn't. Oh, man, the long forgotten uh, <laughs> and uh, much derided sequel series to that 70s show before that 90s show. Yeah, yeah. So. I know, like, I, I see here, like, her main thing is Scandal. But, but uh, I, uh, yeah, I don't know what she's up to these days. I do appreciate that, that 90s yeah. show was like, uh, that 80s show might be a disgrace and awful, but we aren't going to disrespect the canon. So we're going to jump Down to the 90s the in honor of that. Yeah. You want you want some water, Mike? We did last week. Um. Okay. Uh. Was there anything else that you guys wanted to cover in the episode? I feel like we touched upon everything, but was there anything you felt like we we could still kind of cover off in a little bit more detail before we go to trivia? I just feel like there's not a thing to do but talk to you. (laughs) But you know, Um, we're. I was going to mention Hildy. I felt for Hildy because like she obviously is very drunk and she's sad because she cared about uh, Harry Crane a lot and she does that sort of like I'm so happy for you like and I think she is I I think she's kind of gotten over it to the extent that she can in that time like I don't think she's like still pining over Harry but obviously like she's sad you know and I I do wonder like what's going through Harry's head in that scene because it seems like he's just kind of putting her off a little bit there but you know what do you do. I think she's. I think she's still feeling guilty because I don't think Harry ever gave her like really any closure. It's all been on her own because that's how right, the men yeah. would operate, right? And so he's just like, "Why the fuck are you bringing this up? I got over this," and he doesn't consider how she's feeling about the situation. But she's trying to mm-hmm. cover it. I like the part where Bud has to explain to Pete that you can't take a donation back. <laughs> like that was just i don't know why but like that line gets uh it gets me every time it gets me every time uh there's a there's a nice little uh reference here to um oh unless you had something more uh no i mean not for that i was gonna point out that uh uh pete has a real maniacal laugh uh when he thinks about the movie rope 
and about potentially murdering his <laughs> yeah. mom. Uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty messed up. Yeah. Um, oh, we didn't really talk much about uh, Alison Brie being back in, in this episode. It was nice to see Trudy again. Uh, yeah, I guess we haven't seen her in a little bit. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I always we feel last bad. saw her like when they were doing the the episode where it was three Sundays, the one where um, Pete gets the test or they go to see the doctor. No, no, the last time uh, we saw Trudy was when um, uh, Pete guys rocks off thinking about Pearl Harbor. That's the one episode I'm talking about. Actually, no, I think we saw her even sooner. Yeah. I think we saw her in the Memorial Day episode, Maiden Form, because we see Pete and her uh, and Bud and Judy um, doing like a Memorial Day barbecue. Exactly. I do just oh, want to yeah, clarify, okay. yes, that, mm. that Will, you are thinking the same episode because uh, <laughs> uh, Pete gets his rocks off to Pearl Harbor to prove he isn't the problem and that Trudy is. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, I think it's funny that Don lies about taking Bobby to Yankees games all the time. Like, I can't even imagine Don and Bobby, like, at a oh. baseball game. <laughs> I love how reflexively he lies about it. He doesn't even like for one second. Like, uh, yes. He's just like, yep. <laughs> yeah. 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 Whatever you want. And it's, and it's such a good time to go to Yankees games too. Like, yeah, I don't know how many listeners are, 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 are baseball fans, but yeah, this is like a, a great time. I mean, typically it's a good time to be a Yankees fan, but this is especially a good time. Mike would know. Mike, Mike is a baseball super fan uh, in ways that Will and I can't understand and be part of. Um, but wait, what are you talking about? I like baseball. You like baseball? Well, yeah, you've like baseball? never mentioned it in our entire friendship. You have never, you never true. made like a baseball reference. That you never false. used it as a metaphor. That you never just like, false. look at that fastball. Like That's, right there. You are gaslighting. You never mentioned listeners. the teams. No, this, we've watched baseball movies and you're just kind of like, yeah, that's baseball. And no, cares? it's not. That's false. It's football. You're thinking of I baseball I like too. Yeah, no, I'm I'm a fan of baseball, and you you are lying to me, you are lying to yourself, and you're lying <laughs> to these poor lying. listeners. I genuinely feel like we have never had a a single conversation about baseball, or I've got any indication from you whatsoever. But okay, no, I man. believe you, obviously, but I'm still a little bit taken aback. Oh man, Will's talking just about being baseball right with Will's you right, right now. Oh, I take all my friends to the 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 Pirates games. Right. Oh, yeah, I love going. I went to the Pirates. Like everybody, this everybody I care about knows how much I love baseball. I tell them all the time. Oh, just people I, that I I'm fond of and invest in emotionally. Yeah, I saw the Pirates earlier this summer. I had a great time. Will still thinks that Andrew McCutcheon is still on the Pirates. That's a joke. For he all just my got baseball fans. back on the Pirates. Here we go. I just can't. You just rejoined um, the team. Maybe maybe you did mention baseball media, Will, but like my eyes glazed over. That's probably what it is. Uh, I also really like how uh, there's another sort of reference to it's a fun little like in universe world building thing that Betty is like really good at cards. Uh, like she's really good at card games. She's really good at things like poker. And uh, every time we see her with that, she wins. Like when they paid uh pinochle, like she wins and her dad kind of like adds a little bit of flair to that lore. when he mentions that, like she has a real good mind for it. And it kind of had me thinking, it was like, that makes sense for Betty as a character. Like, she's really good at bluffing. She's really good at, like, pretending to, to, like, have different, you know, she's good at pretending, I guess. And she's also, like, in her, like, sort of dollhouse persona, she understands people. She understands what people will do, and she's good at anticipating things and and how little things work. She, she's kind of like a low-key genius, but, like, obviously she's not in yeah. an environment that brings it out of her. She She's an expert on getting down to poke her. 
Yeah, I mean, it doesn't take much uh, in this episode. That's for sure. Um, all right. Uh, I was going to mention, I do like, this is one of those times where Pete kind of comes out on top when it comes to like his family. Uh, he, he has like a bit of a triumphant moment, you know, it's just sort of like washing his hands of his mother's bullshit when she's just like, you know, talking about adoption, like they're pulling from the discards, like that kind of thing. And it's one of those times where you can kind of like Pete a little bit. He obviously undoes it completely when he yes, talks okay. to Peggy later, but yeah. That's a bit of a foul ball, as they say in baseball, John. <laughs> See, this is what I'm talking about. You've never done that. You've never, you've never been like, that's a home run, John. <laughs> like, never. Well, do you want to start a baseball podcast without John? We'll call it sure. It Ain't Ogre Till It's Baseball. Yeah. Yeah, it ain't baseball till it's baseball. It's just the pitch. Um, it's a Mad Men baseball nice. podcast. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I really, really like that really awkward scene where Don and Betty are undressing and it's like they're they're in the room and it's like you can kind of just feel like they're shedding the facade of like pretending that their marriage is fine. And then it's just like nothing but themselves in their underwear and they kind of it, it's like an Adam and Eve kind of like base thing. And yeah, I just I just think it's really, really uh, I uh, read to you that uh, this is part of the trivia, but they choreographed that undressing scene like in a very specific way. And I'm glad they did because it, it just the tension of it is just so good and so palpable. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Cause there's like one moment where like his head's like is on the ground that you see like the like dress kind of fall. Mm-hmm. Like, and yeah, it's just like cool stuff. Uh, I was also going to note that Viola's advice to Betty, where she's like, everything is good outside that door. Uh, I've noticed for the first time, it's really similar to Carla's advice to Betty in the last episode, where she's just like, you know, wash your face, go outside. You'll, and when you come back, you'll see things are right where you left it. Like, it's very similar. Like, things are good outside. Like, go, you know. And that connects to, ultimately, the advice that Don takes. Because Don does that. He leaves. He goes outside. He's going to L.A. because that might be something that helps him out. And, hey, maybe that's going to connect to what Carla said. It's like, you know, when Don comes back, things will theoretically be, you know, right where he, right where he left him, right? Um, yeah, well, I'm, I'm sure Don going to L.A. is going to be business as usual. Nothing crazy is going to happen. He's going to come back. Right, yeah. He's going to be the same um, as I ever. Would... Yeah, nothing's going to happen in the next fine. episode. Um, I also no. like... I also like like when um, Betty tells Don and she's like, I think you should leave. And he's just sort of like, he's so taken aback by oh, it. Oh, yeah. When, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, no, keep, Tim go, keep going. Yeah, go, go yeah, keep yeah. going. I want you to Well, I was thought. just going <laughs> to, he has a chance, right, of like why he should stay. And she, she even tells him, she's just like, that's why, you know, like, it's just because he thinks he should be there for her. And when she says, like, we were just pretending, he has a chance. And I think you see it on his face. It's like, he knows in this moment a way that he could possibly fix this entire thing is if he says to her right then and there, I was not pretending. But I think he's so, like, it's so obvious that he was pretending. It's so obvious that he was putting on a performance. Not even he can bring himself to lie. He just leaves. Because I think he just, I think it's right there on his face is like, he knows that she knows. He knows that if he tries to lie, she's not going to buy it. And I, I think that there's like a corner being turned here where he's actually starting to respect Betty for the first time and understand that like, I cannot just bullshit this woman anymore. I actually kind of have to have a, a, a grappling with this situation. And I, I really like the subtlety of that scene for that reason. Yeah, definitely heavier than the other skits. Hey, Mike, uh, do you prefer season two or season one of I Think You Should Leave? Oh, it, it's season two without a doubt. Interesting. You know, it's just, 
I, I'm just the tiredest I've ever been. Um, okay. Patty Harrison from I Think You Should Leave. Uh, she's wonderful. Yeah. In, uh, I got camp, sewn into I got sewn into the pants of Charlie Brown. <laughs> I don't um, know if you guys know Patty Harrison is an alumni of my college. Who isn't? Sure. That's the fucking party you were at watching Mad Men. I don't think so. <laughs> Patty Harrison was there. Yeah. I don't believe so. I don't, really, I don't know if we ever crossed paths in uh, school. I, I do want to say. I, mean, sorry, I don't even know if you guys are similar age. Isn't she older? Yeah, she's a few years older than me, I think. She also has millions okay. of dollars because she got sewn into the pants of Charlie Brown in the Macy's Day Parade. But uh, I already said I already said why uh, I think Don went to L.A. But did you guys have uh, any of your own takes on why you think he's decided to go? Uh, I mean, he's been prone to uh, leave in moments of danger. Obviously, we saw that uh, in season one when like the, the, the cards were kind of up against him, you know, and he didn't really know what to do. He His first thought was to flee. I feel like he's never really had his like feet so, you know, too deep into the ground. So I feel like he's, he has kind of a fight or flight mentality where it's just like if things aren't really working out, I'm just going to go somewhere else and hope they work out there or maybe find some clarity. Uh, and I feel like that's kind of uh, apparent in this episode. I, I, I think it's similar to why Betty fucked him. You know, you know, he, Don plays the role at Betty's parents' house all weekend and that's all Don does, right? He, he plays a role and expects it to be enough. And then he gets home and Betty get, tells him to leave. And I, to, to your point, John, I think really for me, Don's reaction is what the fuck? I was playing the role. How can you expect me? I'm doing it. Like, this is what you want. I was playing the doting husband. I dealt with your dad all weekend, right? And so similar to Betty being like, nothing is going the way it should. I need control. I think Don goes to LA to be like, I'm not letting these young guys pass me up and, and go to LA. Like, this is work. This is important. I need to go. And that's, I think, his, his, yeah. uh, the impetus to, 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 to leave me. And yeah, I mean, it's a clear kind of power play, but there is also a uh, kind of sense of immaturity, I imagine, there where he's just kind of just like, well, I want this instead. And like, where he isn't really, uh, he's obviously in a not great place with um, Roger at the moment, uh, given what happened an episode or two before. Uh, and I feel like he just kind of like uh, sees the opportunity to kind of assert his power, similar, like you said, with Betty, where she kind of wanted to claim a moment of, uh, you know, a power he's kind of just like well i can do this because i can and i'm gonna do it yeah. so suck it paul there you go yeah i think that's all pretty valid yeah i think we're all saying different things but things that are kind of related to each other and uh, equally like valid for sure um all right i have some trivia and then we can say goodbye until the next episode of the jet set so uh this is a fun one uh when this episode came out it was one month before the 2008 U.S. presidential election, and there was a little bit of controversy around the Gene character because he sort of looks like John McCain. And in this episode, like it kind of seems like I think people interpreted it as like they were taking shots at John McCain in this of like the uh, not necessarily the dementia thing, but just that like implying that he had lost a step or like trying to make fun of him and stuff, which doesn't make sense really because like. The actor was cast for season one. He was in the show last season. But of course, people uh, were going to, you know, complain and do all that. Uh, there was something else here. Um, uh, Weiner actually had a dream about a suitcase, which is referenced in this episode when Betty says that she had a dream about a suitcase. 
And uh, keep that in mind because there's something really important about that. It, it is, of course, interesting. Like we had the episode, uh, I think it was the last episode with, uh, yeah, six month leave or yeah, where uh, the Samsonite pitch was about a suitcase. And then we, of course, said goodbye to Freddie. So yeah, the idea of suitcases is one to keep in mind. Um, also, you already kind of mentioned when William comes through the entrance of the window at the at, uh, the Hofstede household. Uh, that's actually, according to Weiner, a, a reference to Rebecca, the movie Rebecca, where George Sanders comes in through the window and that's his entrance. Yeah. yeah. Big Hitchcock. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I just watched, uh, we watched Rebecca a couple of years ago for, uh, extra for an extra milestone, I want to say. Um, but then uh, last year, uh, Matthew Weiner has said outright because there were some people who were questioning or wondering like if Betty was molested as a kid and that's why Jean was, you know, feeling her up or doing getting confused. Uh, but he said, no, like specifically, this is a product of dementia. So uh, and oh, no, I did have one more. Um, it's not confirmed, but uh, in the DVD commentaries. The actor said that they believe that that scene where Paul is in like the, you know, the car with the other protester, the voter registration folks, um, and he says like the consumer has no color. Uh, they believe that that uh, car was literally just like driving around the lot um, where they shoot the show, uh, and that's why you'll notice that the windows all have curtains. So it is such a weird scene too, because like the windows have curtains, and it's odd because it's like. You know, it looks like they're in some kind of like army bus or something like that. At least I think so. Uh, but no, that's not the case. And that is everything I got. I hope you guys had fun talking about Mad Men again, like we did last summer. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I can't say this episode was a, a home run. <laughs> oh, man. I, is this going to be like the new recurring thing, Will? You're going to start uh, showing me up, trying to, try to prove to the listeners like, no, I was doing this all along. Yeah, man. Uh, I don't know. I just feel like you uh, are choosing your own reality. And uh, I don't know why you think uh, I haven't been a fan of baseball, but I'll I, prove you wrong. I just feel like this is coming from left field. I don't know. There you go. Um, no, that's nice. Yeah, we should end it there. <laughs>